Hi, Gaurav. Welcome to Network Capital. In this podcast, we try and explain uh, how people do and why people do what they do. And uh, your career has been uh, a very multimodal one. And uh, you've gone on from uh, doing a wide breadth of things to finally finding your inner voice and, uh, you know, building a company that uh, marries your uh, passion, your curiosity and your talents. So we're going to explore that in the podcast. Could you get us started by giving us a high level overview of who you are so that people get a flavor of who they're talking to? Yeah, yeah, a pleasure to be here, Utkarsh. Uh, I often describe myself as an output of a very typical assembly line production process here in India. So I completed my schooling from DPS RK Puram, Delhi Public School RK Puram. That's known to be a factory to produce doctors and engineers. Uh, immediately after that, I joined IIT Delhi in computer science and engineering. Uh, that was in fact the first time I started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do in life. And the answer was pretty clear. I wanted to do something that is meaningful, something that has real impact and impact at scale. So that was the uh, uh, that was the answer when I kind of first thought about it. And at the time, I couldn't find any credible opportunities which would allow me to do that. At least I was not aware of those. And therefore, I just continued on the assembly line production. After my IIT daily, went on to do my MBA from IIM Calcutta. And immediately after that, joined McKinsey and Company uh, as a management consultant, as a finishing school of you of that assembly line, you can say. So from DPS to IIT to IIM to McKinsey, as stereotypical as it gets. Uh, McKinsey was a great experience. Uh, got to work across sectors, a uh, lot of exposure in a short period of time picked up a set of horizontal skill sets uh, that I keep applying even till date, uh, was enjoying what I was doing, was was learning, was doing well. Everything seemed to be fine. Uh, but uh, as you often say, right, one cannot continue to drive on a highway just because the highway is good. <laughs> your, yeah. your destination is something else. right? In my case, it was clear I want to do something that would allow me to create real impact at scale and therefore finally decided to quit and chart out my own path, which will help me go to my destination. And so that's, that's how Samagra was born. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we'll explore Samagra in a few minutes. Uh, till you finished McKinsey, mm-hmm. um, you must have been, what, 25, 26 years of age? Yeah, I was around 28 when I uh, finished. McKinsey. I joined McKinsey around 25, but when yeah. I got out, Till 28, had you experienced failure at all in any shape or form? Mm, not really. Uh, if, I, if I look back now, then I wouldn't call those things that I might have faced till then as, as real, real failures. So failure would be like uh, uh, not not getting to a, a college that you may want to go to and so on. But in my case, that was hardly there. Uh, not So failure was, the definition was of failure itself was very, very different, I would say. Uh, now, if I look back, the answer to your question is no. Yeah, the, thank you for the honesty because you did, uh, you know, like uh, get through every competitive exam and you aced uh, many interviews. Um, what was the source of uh, the dissatisfaction or uh, uh, the quest of, for doing more? What was the origin of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so there's no one one incident kind of that that oriented me towards uh, towards impact work. As I said, when I first started thinking about it during my IIT days, uh, from then itself, uh, I, I started feeling that I want to do something that, that has a real uh, impact uh, at a certain scale. 
and that was also the time when when uh, uh, a lot of positive buzz in the country around the telecom revolution around highways getting built around i don't know tata acquiring corus and so on so forth it was a time where there was a kind of an economic boom of sorts and you hear you heard a lot of positive stories and and i felt that governance politics these are instruments of real change but to your question around where the seed was sown i would say might have been some sometime in my childhood uh, again no one incident but i everyone around me my my especially my father has been kind of very socially active uh, all his life always talking about the society always talking about people around us through different organizations local organizations social organizations but the orientation since childhood had been towards society i think that's where the seed was sown uh, but yeah at, as far as i am concerned more consciously from my undergrad days um so talk to us about uh, the initial days of setting up samagra what was the hypothesis yeah. um how did you you know start from the idea to actually mm-hmm. launching the company yeah. talk me through the initial conversation that you were having with yourself and your friends so i think the first thing that did about uh, at when i quit mckinsey was to travel across the country for 6 months uh, so that was my own version of my bharat darshan so to say uh, and that essentially involved doing three things one i made a list of some 25 different organizations which were known to be doing good work in different sectors uh, uh, in health in ag- in agriculture livelihood education and so on so i would meet their founders their leaders in delhi bombay bangalore wherever they were headquartered understand what the model is and they would ask them typically where are you doing good work tell me one place in the country where you feel this is your showcase model i would go there and stay for a few days so just as an example i met pradhan which is an organization that works in in livelihood uh, met their met their met, met their leadership team and they said we are doing outstanding work in gorda in jharkhand and dholpur in rajasthan So I said, okay, I'll visit both these places and spend a few days there. This I did for 25 different organizations. That was one part of uh, those right. six months. The right. second was I wanted to understand how the wheels of governance really move on the ground. Uh, so growing up in Delhi, you don't really interact with administration as much, other than the police probably, uh, right? Uh, so I wanted to know how do how do how do the wheels move on the ground? So I shadowed a bunch of district level officials and and below, so district collectors, patwaris, number das, municipal commissioners. uh medical officers and so on so forth and all by cold calling reaching out to one contact then through them another through them another so did a lot of that across different states so which was a really uh, eye opening experience i would say and third just uh, uh, made a list of some 15 odd mps members of parliament who were known to be doing good work uh and just cold call them and said i want to understand you you seem to have done good work in your constituency i want to kind of come and see so either them or their teams would kind of facilitate and i would go and study what they have done there so all of it put together was roughly around spending you can say at least a night in 70 odd districts in the country and visiting around 17 different states in that short period of time to me that was my orientation and that's what crystallized the idea for samagra uh and it was a it was three key learnings i had to pick up there one was it was a humbling experience right you saw that okay you are you are young fresh you want to contribute but there are people who spend their lifetime kind of trying to contribute in some shape and form so it was a humbling experience uh, a second it also helped get out of in some ways the mckinsey bubble right because you are kind of uh, there you are working with the corporates you are just seeing a certain percentage of of the entire world and you believe that's the full world 
but when you come out of it and you really spend time on the ground you really understand uh, that this life beyond beyond the puppet body uh, and third it was a lot of learning uh, immense amount of learning so all of it put together kisplai that i said that idea of samagra and then that's when uh, samagra took shape with the core thesis being a better governance as a lever to create large scale impact you want to believe that you can do a whole bunch of things outside of the system but you want to reach millions and millions of people and transform their lives you cannot wish away the political and the governance yeah so uh, gorav engineering mba mckinsey uh, does buy you enough insurance for life right like uh, you would have thought that you know even if uh, this program or this company doesn't work i still have uh, you know my quote unquote insurance to go back yeah. to was yeah. that at all in your mind and were you financially secure by the time you were 28 uh so definitely not financially secure uh, uh, but yes this whole thing around if nothing works out in the worst case scenario then you still have your quote unquote your degrees and your uh, and your uh, uh, basic capability that will allow you to earn a living right that's always the case so from that definition yes the insurance was there but not at all uh, from a point of view of being financially secure in, in fact the first two years at samag were really really tough uh, in the sense there was a time when when uh, uh, there was there was lack of visibility in terms of where this is headed uh, right. so you were professionally not sure about what you are doing mm-hmm. uh, financially uh, there was actually zero revenues and and i was in fact investing from whatever little savings i had that mm-hmm. was kind of uh, uh, going into samagra uh, no one else in the family was actually uh, earning my father had just retired uh, mm-hmm. so we were actually eating on savings in the family as well uh and there's some unfortunate things on the personal side also that had happened in the time uh so all of it put together was pretty tough uh and in fact on all aspects of life you were i was at rock bottom and there the thinking was that if we can come out of this any which way then anything is possible in life so it was pretty tough in the first two to and a half years uh right. yeah but to the extent yes that education uh, uh buys you a certain insurance to that extent yes that confidence was always there if nothing works out we'll figure out something got it got it um so the first two years of uh, samagra what wasn't working and why yeah so we actually started off by working with mps members of parliament and supporting them with different aspects of constituency development the thought process was that there are 543 constituencies in the in the country lok sabha constituencies if each one of them can be transformed then the country can be transformed and therefore it's a good idea to work with mps uh, and help them facilitate development in the region that they are getting elected from so that was the model uh, and we would work with uh, mps across party lines across states and so on uh, but net net there were various limitations to that model and and the three learnings that we acquired in the first two years were were the following one uh one was around just the sheer unit of change what should be a unit of change uh we now firmly believe that the role of the government of india is to uh get focus on the right areas incentivize uh, provide funding in some cases basically create an enabling environment the role of the districts where we were operating at because when you work with mps we would also closely work with the district administrations that's largely implementation it's the it's the state uh, it's state as a unit uh, where there is a lot of scope to kind of a lot of scope for creativity to design new programs to conceptualize uh, transformations and also have a very direct control on implementation because the districts are reporting to the state and not to the government of india 
so state as a unit of change was a big learning and probably we were focused at a at the at us at, at not the correct place when we were working with constituencies right so now we have a firm belief that if india has to transform it has to happen state by state by state there's no magic wand that will do it in one go across the country so that right. was one big learning the second one was that maybe mps were not the right uh, 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 stakeholders to work with in the scheme of things and at least what we wanted to do uh, which was around transforming governance uh, mps are in some sense toothless right to put it a little harsh uh, uh, right because their role is largely to create laws uh, that is through the parliament keep, keep an oversight on the executive that's what we read in civics uh, in school but somewhere we kind of uh, it was yeah, we had to experience it to uh, uh, to understand that better uh, and that also there also the role is diminished because of the whip system and other things and secondly they have no executive authority right so they have influence they can influence the government they can influence the district collector and so on to do certain things but no direct authority to do so for us it was important that we work with the executive as opposed to with the legislature wing of the democracy which meant the the ministers and the bureaucracy so that was a second big uh, learning and third was just financially as a as a model uh, uh, there's no way that mps could compensate for the professional services that we were providing the mps that we were working with were actually writing checks to us from their personal accounts now that's not a fair expectation and not many mps can do that either uh, so therefore from a business model perspective also it was not a good idea whereas if you work with the state then there are different ways in which funding etc can be figured out so right. the major learnings and that led to a pivot subsequently this is very interesting uh, a lot of people want to work uh, in the policy space uh, they benefit from uh, this particular insight tell us about how did you think about repivoting and what were some of the steps that you took to arrive at the new operating as well as new business model yeah yeah so the pivots were uh, uh, twofold primarily one is working with the executive as opposed to the legislature and the second one was working with the states as opposed to working with districts slash constituencies or even for that matter government of india uh, so these were the two pivots and what we do now for the last 4 to 5 years is to work with the political and the bureaucratic leadership in the states and this is typically a combination of a chief minister and an empowered bureaucrat in the state typically a principal secretary so a combination of a chief minister and a principal secretary on systemic transformations and i'll explain that in a moment across different domains of governance such as school education agriculture skill development uh, uh, employment service delivery governance reforms and so on so that's what we do uh, and when i say systemic transformations it's uh, it really means that what we are not interested in or what we are not focused on is point intervention that will yield some short term benefit but instead we are looking at that particular domain in the state as a system and you want to take that system from point a to point b over a period of 2 to 3 years so i'm just explaining to an example let's say we are talking about school education transformation where the objective let's say is to improve learning outcomes across all the 50000 government schools in a state let's say that's right. the mandate so sure. what we not, what we'll not do is to say okay let's focus on teacher training and that's the one thing that will solve for it instead we'll look at look at school uh, education as a system and it's always a combination of administrative interventions on one side and technical on the other a combination of which leads to a movement in the system uh, in terms of improvement of learning outcomes so on one side we'll talk about things like what's the right configuration of schools in the state 
how do you make sure there's merit-based selection of teachers? How do you make sure there's a transparent teacher transfer policy so that they are not running behind MLAs to get transfers done? How do you build an accountability for learning outcomes? So all these are managerial or administrative interventions. On the other side, we are talking about things like what's the right curriculum? What's the right teacher learning material? What's the right uh, mentoring framework? How should assessments or examinations happen in the state? So it's the combinatorics of this, uh, uh, these administrative and academic interventions together that lead to an improvement in the system and improvement in learning outcomes. So that's the lens that we take across all our engagements. So it's a very systems thinking approach or a systemic transformation approach as opposed to a point intervention approach. Yeah. Uh, how do you decide the KPIs and uh, who pays you? Yeah. Uh, so we get in pretty early uh, in all of our programs when there's an abstract idea that the state has that we want to do something in agriculture, we want to do something in towards quality of education. So in the beginning itself, we define a very clearly defined, very sharply defined, articulated and measurable goal. For example, we'll say we want X percentage of students across all the government schools in the state to become grade level competent. Or we want incomes of farmers to go from X to Y over the next three years. Right. So we define the goal. We actually start off by defining the goal jointly with the political and the bureaucratic leadership in the state. Then we diagnose what's the current situation over a couple of months. Another couple of months we take jointly to come up with a multi-year roadmap of how that thing can be transformed uh, in the state. And then over a period of two years or three years, literally co-work with the state leadership to catalyze the implementation of that roadmap. So that's how the entire cycle looks like. We are there from the very beginning to from defining the goals till the very end to uh, 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 make sure that the benefit or the impact is delivered on the ground. Uh, and it actually starts by defining the KPI that you are uh, asking for. So that's the model. In terms of who pays us, right? Uh, so one thing that we're very clear on, we don't participate in government tenders or requests for proposals or RFPs and so on. And there are two reasons for doing that. Some of, our some of our listeners, actually many of our listeners are not from India. So they yeah. perhaps would want to understand. Yeah, so we don't uh, we don't participate in any government uh, uh, tenders. So tender is when the government wants a private entity to come and support with something. We don't participate in that. There are two reasons for it. One, the nature of work that we're doing is difficult to capture in a tender document. Uh, it's very difficult to say these are the ten steps to be taken to transform school. I'm just picking school education as a proxy uh, because that's the example that we've been talking about. So it's very difficult to say these are 10 things to be done and you'll kind of improve learning outcomes in the entire state. That's very difficult. Uh, so it's not quote unquote tenderable uh, in one uh, in some sense. So so that's one reason. The second is also once you once the government quote unquote hires you, then the relationship tends to become that of a client and a vendor. And that's not the relationship that's conducive for impact. We want really to be working as thought partners with the government. Uh, and that's where we maximize the chances of impact. Uh, therefore, we don't participate in these tenders. Instead, what we do is once this alignment with the state leadership on what needs to be achieved, we put the onus on the government to figure out a private source of our funding our fee or paying our fee. So we don't want to be saying that, okay, we are coming in and we'll get the fee ourselves or we'll get the funding ourselves. I spend zero time almost on fundraising, almost zero. Uh, that's the more uh, NGO model. Uh, because we don't want to say we'll get everything because then the attitude becomes okay. You they don't have a skin in the game and they say okay, please go ahead and and try whatever you can. We want them to have a real skin in the game, 
and for that we put the onus on them to figure out a private source of funding so these are most of our engagements are funded through international philanthropies like bill and melinda gates foundation or michael and susan dell foundation some csr corporate social responsibility money and so on and so forth so that's the uh, uh, business model so to say a complete uh, ownership by the government a skin in the game but also not getting paid by the government directly uh, that's how we structure and I'm one sure. more important point utkash i'll add here is that we would never go to a government and say this is what can be done it's an extremely pull based model in all of the work that we are doing today the government has first approached us to say this is what we want to do and can you guys help uh, with this and that's very very important to us we choose our situations very very carefully uh, and it's not about any this thing that we don't want to be approaching and or anything of that sort just that when the government approaches it means they really want to do it they really want to uh, transform they're really interested in that particular uh, domain and so on so that the first move is made by the government and after that also we look for two three things before we say yes one is we look for a political will so at the very top the chief minister has to really back that particular reform and say we want to do this and secondly a empowered and capable bureaucrat who's who's there to kind of drive this on behalf of the government if we see these things fall in place and also certain distance from elections we don't want to get into a state when it's one year into elections or so on so certain distance from elections uh, empowered bureaucrat and a political will and the first move made by the government once all these conditions are met that's when we sign up and say okay let's do it together and that's i think one of the important uh, criteria for us and that that helps a lot um could you tell me about uh, a couple of uh, pleasant and unpleasant surprises that you've encountered while working with uh, the state machinery or the government machinery hmm. Hmm. so one thing that uh, uh, comes uh, in the way which is you can say an occupational hazard but which which happens is the change in the leadership so there's a part of it which is a change in the political leadership but that happens once every 5 years uh, and we in any case can time around it as i said we won't get into a state which is one year into elections but what is not in anyone's control what is not in our hands is when the bureaucratic leadership changes so the key person the key bureaucrat who's driving the thing in the state along with you if that person changes then it tends to uh, affect the overall uh, program and that hop- happens actually fairly Uh, often it can happen between six months, twelve months, eighteen months. There's no time of of transfers in in the bureaucracy. Uh, one safeguard against that is if it's a real priority for the political leadership, they will not transfer the bureaucrat. But again, uh, there are so many factors at play that it does happen, and therefore it it kind of and then you are caught in a situation where you are checked for that pull upfront, and that's when you got into the situation. You kick started something. you put all effort energy behind it and then you suddenly see the uh, the ceo or the leadership kind of uh, change and the new leader may not be as enthusiastic and so on so this has happened with us in a couple of cases uh, uh, and that really kind of uh, becomes a, a setback you don't want to pull out at that point in time at the same time you don't get the same effort uh, energy uh, that is required for it so this is one uh, what we and call deal with this because i imagine that you have zero control over changing yeah. the machinery yeah. Uh, yeah. and how does it affect your revenue stream if at all it doesn't really affect the revenue stream per se because the money is coming from a private entity uh, which is usually long term contracts and all uh, 
so it's not about revenue stream getting affected but it's about the pace of work and the and the uh, uh, change management that you are kind of in the middle of that getting affected uh, the, there's no way to safeguard against it the only thing you can do is uh, just keep on making sure that it's the topmost political priority what you're doing and therefore uh, uh, the the bureaucrat who's leading it is not kind of transferred that's one uh, and second is once you have a certain runway with the with a good bureaucrat in the beginning let's say 9 to 12 months then you embed the entire transformation program into the system so the system starts owning it the the mid level officers the district level officers the block level officers the entire system starts owning it and then even if some leadership change happens the program sustains uh, uh, and that's what we really shoot for we shoot for that runway of 9 to 12 months with a good bureaucrat in the beginning and then uh, when then we are fine just a case in point is for example himachal pradesh which is a state that we have been working in for almost 4 years now uh, there uh, there was a kind of two year window when the principal secretary of education changed there six different people who came over a period of two years six different heads of the uh, uh, education department right but before that we had spent one year in the state this program had been really absorbed and owned by the uh, by the entire uh, uh, system and therefore this we could tide over this change uh, of leadership but sometimes it tends to become difficult understood um how do you um, achieve a sync with the overall ecosystem because uh, uh, you know think of porter's five forces in business um, what are the equivalent five forces in say development and how do you engage them all and do you actually need all of them to come on board uh, i think the some things that some forces that become uh, uh, critical here i would just if i were to prioritize what are the uh, uh, key success factors so to say in the kind of work that we do one clearly is the political will uh, that is so so important because the kind of reforms that we are talking about almost always either are hitting some vested interests at scale or uh, uh, are politically sensitive even something that seems as this thing straightforward as education in terms of political sensitivity once you get a trans uh, let's say a transparent teacher transfer policy in the state that means that the teachers will not be running behind mlas to get transfer done therefore you are killing an entire patronage network which has thrived over decades right so when that gets introduced there's a lot of backlash from the ground that comes in media in in from the system and so on and that's the time when the chief minister really needs to take a stance and say no i'll go ahead and do this right so in each of our programs you will see there's something or the other of this kind that is there so political will is extremely critical and somehow you have to choose you cannot create that political will you can influence it to some extent but you can choose whether you uh, uh, whether you want to get into a situation and you see that or not that that's one critical thing mm-hmm. uh, i would say the second thing uh, uh, is around change management uh, which is very critical because these are massive systems you are talking about for example we are working in up uttar pradesh now which is the largest state in the country on uh, uh, education so it's 110000 schools some 400000 teachers some 12 million kids hmm. right so when you making that kind of change uh, uh, transforming that bigger system change management becomes very very critical and that's where we have developed a lot of internal frameworks and internal uh, mechanisms of how do you do that how do you make things simple for people on the ground how do you create heroes in the system etc etc uh, so that's the uh, uh, second critical element 
uh, the third one is again this uh, bureaucratic leadership which we have already uh, discussed and the fourth and the again very important one is around uh, designing solutions in the context of governance realities so that's a big point uh, uh, a lot of times in the impact domain it's easy to come up with solutions that look good on ppt uh, but once you implement them they look very logical also once you implement them they are no takers so how do you uh, uh, keep the governance realities on the ground in mind uh, while designing solutions i think that's one of the core uh, expertise so to say that we have kind of developed over the years so these are the four key things in terms of your business forces we talk talking about the business uh, this thing then one thing that one of the porters five minutes competition right, right. Uh, competition in our case is is that we, that's the last thing actually that that we ever discuss or talk about mm -hmm. uh, because you look at and i'm digressing a little bit here if you look at the consulting landscape mm -hmm. uh, there the three broad verticals of consulting the way i look at it there's the corporate consulting where the yeah. key client is the corporate there is what we call social sector consulting where the key client is either a multilateral or world bank or adb or defed or a foundation of a corporate i don't know reliance foundation or mahindra foundation and so on so that social sector consulting and the third is governance consulting where the key client is the government right yeah. that's the three verticals and then there are three horizontals which you can say tiers of consulting firms Right, so there's a tier one consulting firm, tier two, tier three, and that's a function of how abstract the problem statement you're dealing with is, and therefore, consequently, who on the client side are you working with? Are you working with the CEO? Are you working with the regional head, and so on, from a corporate analogy? Right. So very clearly, uh, as far as Samagri is concerned, we are in the third vertical, which is governance consulting. 100% of the work is with governments. There's no work that we do with multilaterals or foundations, and uh, and so on. All the work is with the government. And yeah. second, it is clearly in the falls in the tier one category where you are working on really abstract, open-ended problem statements. Uh, uh, how do you improve the quality of education? How do you improve farmers' income? How do you transform scheme services delivery? So very open-ended problems. If you look at that intersection and that cell, we are we are one one player in India in that, and the only other player is is the public and the social sector practice of BCG, the Boston Consulting Group. So they're the they're the only other people that we see operating in that domain. Right. So, and this, way, you are also in a sort of a blue ocean, right? You're not competing for minor differences with other. Exactly. Players. The pie is so big. There's so much to be done. Uh, then, if there are ten more samagra also, then also it, it's kind of uh, we believe uh, not sufficient to kind of. Uh, no, I like the fact that you know, like you're like it's a blue ocean, and that you're uh, you're trying to create a market and solve a social problem. You know, got one really exciting trend that I see on network capital is the sheer number of people hmm. who get excited by uh, you know samagra and the likes or you know similarish organizations in India and abroad. Um, so there's a clear. Uh, emerging trend amongst millennials to find work that's meaningful mm -hmm. and i'd like to congratulate you to have uh, you know built a young dynamic team and attract uh, the right set of people even a few days back when you did the masterclass in network capital premium the sheer number of questions that came before and after it was just a pleasant surprise mm -hmm. talk to me about talent who do you want uh, at Samagra, and how can people make a strong case to uh, yeah. work there? Yeah, that's a good topic overall. Uh, so, just to kind of set the context for this, uh, today the thing that kind of 
occupies our uh, leadership uh, uh, mind share is not about how do you expand work this enough and more pull for the work that we're doing this enough and more uh, uh, governments reaching out for the transformations that they want to do the real problem statement is how do you supply how do you how do you kind of service these requests and for that you need to kind of scale the team without compromising on the quality of what you are doing so the re real biggest problem statement for us today is actually talent uh, uh, and on one hand there is a large huge amount of applications that we get in terms of uh, interest from youngsters and and so on at the same time we believe that that we are not able to kind of uh, uh, recruit in requisite numbers uh, uh, and and that's the real uh, uh, problem statement to kind of solve for to your question around what is it that we are looking for uh, i think firstly what we are not looking for is any experience in the development domain or 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 or, or governance and any knowledge of that that's mm -hmm. the last thing that we're looking for we don't expect people to have had experience in this domain even if they do that's not what we are uh, that's not a real plus plus in any which way what we are looking for is certain uh, uh, horizontal skill set which we believe will will come in handy in the kind of work that you're doing so the ability to structure uh, problem statements the ability to think uh, uh, practically the ability to think with a with a heavy dose of let's say common sense right? that's what we are looking for we are looking for structured communication both written and oral uh, we are looking for the ability to work with a diverse set of stakeholders and people uh, and across hierarchy uh, very senior folks at the same time mid level at the same time ground uh, uh, this thing so stakeholder uh, ability to work with people so that's the skills that we are looking at the other thing we are looking at is a very deep uh, uh, desire to create impact uh, through governance right that's important because a lot of times when you're working with the government uh, uh, one trait that is required is perseverance and that comes from from your whole innate uh, desire to create impact that's what keeps you going so we are really looking for that passion for uh, uh, impact and of course then a whole bunch of things in terms of attitude in terms of learning fast in terms of uh, 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 just picking up things and 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 having the right kind of mental makeup uh, to be able to uh, uh, get new uh, content get uh, adapt in new situations and so on so th those are the things essentially we are looking at we are not looking for any past experience which is into governance or social sector which is great um you also have a particular selection methodology right what yeah. do you uh, you gave a brief overview just now uh, but uh, often people call us uh, before interviews with you to figure out uh, you as in with samagra to figure out like how to what should be a best practice to answer such questions uh, but let's hear it from you like what candidate delights you of course there's energy and enthusiasm but in terms of uh, the skills and analytical ability what kind of candidate do you really look forward to and how should people uh, express this best in their application specifically i'm asking about uh, uh, some written work that you all uh, make people do. just talk to us in detail about it yeah so the four steps in our recruitment process step number 1 is when you submit your cv and you answer a couple of uh, kind of questions which is largely around why you want to do this uh, so what we are looking at in the cv is uh, how you have done wherever you have been uh, in your life right uh, uh, it does not matter which college it does not matter which this thing but how have you done there how have you made use of the opportunities that you got in life 
so that's one thing it could be through academics it could be through extracurriculars it could be through uh, co-curricular activities and so on it could be your performance at the place of work that you are in uh, you were at earlier uh, so how are you doing wherever you are so that's one thing that that's important the second thing we try and gauge which is sometimes not straightforward is is drive uh, do you pick things and, and and just keep on kind of dabbling into different things or you 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 there's a consistency in in what you are doing so you if you like singing have you taken it to the logical uh, uh, kind of uh, this thing level so drive is one thing that we that we look at and of course from your sop we are really seeing whether you're looking at it as another job or this is something that is you're really passionate about and you want to contribute so so that's on the first uh, stage second stage is the written what you are referring to which we call a concept note where we give a problem statement and you are expected to uh, uh, in a time bound activity of an hour hour and a half you yeah. capture uh, your uh, uh, response to that there we are looking at two things we are looking at your uh, basically written communication and within that how structured your flow of thoughts are so structuring in written communication is specifically something that we that we look at uh, structure is very important in in everything that we do here and and that's what we are checking there and the second thing is your ability to think practically because what are your solutions you are proposing what are you are ideating uh, 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 it has to be grounded in certain uh, uh, practical uh, reality so these are two things we look at in the concept note uh, the third thing then comes the telephonic interview uh, where we also do a small mini case discussion uh, uh, and and some personal discussion is it uh, a bit like the mckinsey case uh i would say that is more in the final in person rounds where we do okay. more longer cases uh, which is like a consulting case but the problem statements that we choose there are from our pieces of work so from the work engagements that we have done we pick up problem statements from there uh, but yes what we are looking for is structuring what we are looking for is kind of depth of thinking what we are looking for again the practical part becomes important in our case what's your judgment what's how do you are think able to think practically uh, uh, or it is more bookish that's one important thing uh, and of course oral communication because as you do the case you're kind of constantly engaging uh, so your presence in oral communication also becomes important in the final round got it um uh, this is super helpful um once people get hired into the organization uh what are some measures that you invest in mentoring them or uh, investing yeah. in them to do good work yeah so that's our biggest focus actually last 2 2 2 to 3 years that's been the biggest uh, focus area internally is how do we uh, nurture talent within uh, and how do we do professional development of our colleagues so uh, big focus area we do three things uh, there uh, one is where we have a very well defined what we call a professional development framework so at every level uh, in the organization they have clearly defined quote unquote competencies that one is expected to uh, kind of have so something like having a difficult conversation with a senior government officials is one competency so as a consultant or as a manager or as a associate you have a list of competencies that you expected you know and there uh, there is a regular fortnightly and monthly discussions that you have with your manager with your program owner to identify certain competencies and then opportunities are created for you within the program within the engagement that you are on where you can own those comp uh, competencies so that's and then you track it over a period of time you track your own uh, uh, journey so that's one bit there's a very very structured professional development process 
The second is more formal trainings, which we have increased over the last uh, year and a half, two years, uh, mm. which is around leadership, which is around specific skills and so on. Uh, so there are various forums within the within the firm where we kind of do that. And the third and the most important is you're never in your comfort zone. Right? If you if you feel that you're kind of cracked something and you kind of start becoming comfortable, you automatically kind of ticked up in some ways and given the next responsibility. So there's a performance appraisal, which is six monthly, takes care of that. Mm. Uh, you're constantly identifying talent and really giving them responsibility probably sooner than they feel that they're ready for it. Uh, so these are the three broad mechanisms that helps us grow talent from within. And we are very also very clear uh, that we want to build an organization where people are growing uh, internally as opposed to getting a large number of lateral hires at a senior level. Right. That's quite refreshing to know. Uh, just my final couple of questions on the Corona crisis. Uh, how has work changed for you today? And uh, are you doing uh, something interesting with some stakeholders in these difficult times? So answer one from your own organization standpoint, how is work there? And then second, how is your organization being able to do its uh, impact work with stakeholders? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Definitely, there's an impact uh, of Corona. So, of course, all of us working from home uh, uh, in these times. Uh, so, in each of our engagement, we have actually had a relook at our uh, impact strategy. Uh, so, be it agriculture with farmers, be it uh, skill development, be it education, be it anything. Uh, and all of these things, we've taken a step back and said, okay, schools are not going to open over the next two months, at least till the summer vacations. So, how do we uh, re-strategize and relook at some probably uh, learning from home solutions, et cetera, which were never part of the plan. But we now we kind of focus on them while we continue to push on things that were part of the original plan. So this is a, this is a step back and re-strategizing on almost every engagement. That's one. Uh, the second uh, bit is specific work related to COVID. So the states that we are uh, active in, so we are right now working on nine transformation programs across four states and government of India. Uh, and cutting across some six domains. So the states that we are deep in, like Haryana, Odisha, and so on, there we are providing specific COVID-related support to these state governments. And in addition to that, we have also actively working with the government of India in managing uh, some aspects of this entire lockdown. So that's a little confidential, not shareable, but but uh, 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 but we are actively engaged. That, that's where we actually physically go and work from even in this uh, uh, in this period. So that's on what we are doing during this uh, COVID. But in terms of as an organization, I think a lot more engagement. We have kind of productivity levels are pretty high. We constantly do a pulse check of the teams. The uh, town hall frequency has gone up. Instead of monthly, it's become fortnightly. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're doing uh, to kind of keep the teams cheerful uh, uh, and engaged uh, during this time. I think we are, I would say, almost close to 100% productivity so far. Uh, uh, and of course, if it continues for long, we'll see a dip there. But so far, it's been kind of coming along well. Uh, wonderful. Um, Gaurav, do you find time to unwind, relax? If so, how do you do so? Yeah, so I'm a, uh, so the three, three kind of interests that I always had. One is just, uh, uh, reading and, and uh, uh, this thing a lot around politics and governance. So that's one thing that has now become the uh, uh, profession. So it kind of ties along well, it it, 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 it happens naturally. The other was around uh, uh, 
traveling uh, which has gone down significantly and i don't see that kind of picking up again with this covid situation anytime soon soon and the third i am a big foodie uh, and that's another thing that i manage to continue to do uh, with all the heavy lifting at some other because you have to do so many meetings and meet and do so many interactions that you can always kind of figure out time to do it outside of office and outside of this thing so uh, those are the things that i that i do but uh, another thing here is that once you this is not something that that's been forced on me right this is something that i'm doing out of my own passion so when that's the case and then you would also utkarsh uh, identify with this when you're doing something out of your own passion then then there's a very uh, thin boundary between work and and uh, and leisure uh, and that's uh, that's the case with me <laughs> totally gorov this was such a pleasure uh, thank you so much for your time um, this has been a, a fascinating conversation a very useful podcast for a lot of our listeners appreciate your time and i'd also like to take a moment to tell you about our recently launched group offering so we've now so far we were largely b2c mm-hmm. but just yesterday night we've also launched our uh, community for uh, enterprises or b2b model So we'd love to explore some of uh, this with organizations such as yours but keep doing the fascinating work that you're up to and uh, look forward to meeting you soon and sharing a meal after covid Sure thanks a lot Utkash my pleasure really enjoyed this conversation thank you thank you talk soon bye bye